Welcome to Coming Out and Beyond. This is a show about LGBTQIA plus stories. I am your host, Anne-Marie Zanzel, and I'm a late bloomer to the queer world, and I work with people coming out later in life. I provide both coaching and mutual support groups. I have many different labels, including, but not limited to, queer, lesbian, mom, daughter, sister, friend, minister, and fiance to my lovely partner, photographer, Tonda McKay. I passionately believe in the power of storytelling to change the world. In the telling of our stories, we can often help another person hear their own. Today, my guest is April Scott. She was raised independent fundamentalist Baptist. Yes, that is a mouthful. Was married to a man for 18 and a half years and is the mom of five kiddos. April came out at 38 and has struggled to find her voice and her belief system since this that time. She is now married to her wife, Rania. Oh, no. <laughs> Tanya, Rania, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, let me read the back of the, uh, the, the last thing. April Scott was raised independent fundamentalist Baptist, was married to a man for 18 and a half years and is the mom of five kiddos. She came out at 38 and has struggled since then to find her voice and her belief system. She is now married to her wife, Rania, and lives in Tennessee. Welcome, April. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's nice to finally meet you. Um, April and I met each other in a later in life support group that was on a line when we both came out about five, six years ago and uh, felt a lot of camaraderie with April because we were the women with the most kids. In the group. <laughs> she had five and I had four. So. <laughs> so April, tell me your story. I've been so excited to, to hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I did grow up independent fundamentalist Baptist. Uh, it I was raised as a pastor's daughter, so um, very much raised in the faith. Um, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and um, for a while there, uh, we were missionary evangelists. So I I got to see a bit of the country. I got to go to other um, countries as well, and. Um, just it, it was just instilled in me uh, uh, that faith was the most important thing, and in that faith, um, it was pretty strict. Um, as as a woman, uh, I, I was not a it was not a faith that allowed for a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. So um, we were kind of taught what to think, what to believe, what to wear, <laughs> what to say, how to sit, how to behave. So. And, that was my life. <laughs> well, can I ask you, so like the thing is that you and I have grown up around religion. So like when you talk to me about this, I understand that. I understand what you're talking about, but a lot of people haven't. <laughs> so can you explain when you say you were taught about how to dress, how to walk, how to act, how to think? So like, how were you taught to dress? How were you taught to act? How were you taught to, th to think? So just start with the like material stuff, like clothing and dressing and all that stuff like that. Right. Um, well, during the time period that I grew up in the Independent Fundamental Baptist, um, the women were not allowed, um, and, and I use that word allowed, to wear pants or shorts. We were to wear um, a knee length, middle to the knee or below skirt. Um, you had to have two fingers up here and your your you know the length of your your top couldn't be any further than two fingers below your below, collar below yeah. your collarbone. right yeah. you had to like everything had to be very no off the shoulder no boobage <laughs> no 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 boobage um and I and I remember you know uh at one point in time I, I had a I was wearing a skirt and my my dad was like you, you can't wear that skirt and I, and I was like why it's like I can see your panty line so you know I wasn't even allowed to have a form at all, even in the clothing that I wore, it had to be kind of baggy, very loose, um, not not being able to tell that I was a woman at all, basically. Um, but that was also supposed to be attractive to men too, because they didn't want to see you in pants or <laughs> shorts. So it was kind of this mixed, you know, what what do you want? Um, so that's how I was raised. I was I was told that um, if you had to wear something like pants or whatever to do the task you needed to do, let's say get up on a ladder or do any kind of physical work, then it wasn't women's work. You should not be doing it. So 
yeah, I was very limited in the activities I was allowed to do um, up to a certain point too. My, my dad loosened up a little bit in the older teen years um, because he didn't like heights and he needed someone to <laughs> go to the I roof and adjust the antenna. <laughs> so suddenly I was allowed to get on the roof. <laughs> Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Did that change like when you were younger girl, a younger girl, could you like play outside and do the things that children do? Or were you even as a young child regulated to playing with dolls or playing, you know, house or playing school? Like what were you allowed? No, I, to was, do? I was, I was allowed, um, limited. Um, I, I, I could only basically play with girls, um, for most, most of the time. Um, I, uh, at a certain age, some boys were allowed to, I was allowed to play with them, but in mixed groups. So, but I, I actually did have that kind of freedom. I was allowed to, to play outside. In fact, I, I pretty much grew up in a horse barn. I loved going to the, the horse barn and being around the horses. It kind of gave me some reprieve from my home. Um, mm -hmm. so I got to relax there, uh, walk the woods, that sort of thing. So, but, um, but sports were kind of restricted uh, mm -hmm. to certain things. I, I remember one time we were in Kansas City and we were uh, near pastor's home and he invited my dad um, and the family to go to a Kansas, Chief, uh, Kansas City Chiefs game. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, I'm gonna get to go watch you know, a football game. I didn't care about the Kansas City Chiefs. I just wanted to go watch a football game. Mm -hmm. And my dad, my dad said, no, no, that's, that's a boy's sport. Girls don't go to football games. And um, I remember as a young teen, I wanted to learn how to play the trumpet. And my dad was like, no, 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 that's a boy's instrument. Girls don't play trumpets, girls play piano. So I got to take a couple of years of piano. <laughs> um, so that, so there were definitely some strict rules about what was male and female gendered um, activities. And so what were the role of women in the church? What were they allowed to do? <laughs> In the church, wow. Um, you could play the piano and you could sing in the choir. Um, you could make casseroles. Yes, you could, you could bring <laughs> dishes to things. You could work in the nursery and you were allowed to teach a class um, under high school level. Um, so once you reached high school level, women were not allowed to teach those classes because um, that meant that the boys were of an age where they were becoming more men and women were not allowed to usurp authority over men. So they were not allowed to teach upper level classes. So elementary age and below, nursery, choir, pianist. <laughs> so that's what your roles were. So what did you think? Did like, first of all, I can imagine your world was pretty insular because usually typically kids that grow up in religious homes such as that, they're, they don't have much exposure to outside influences. So, right. you didn't, I, so you just thought this was normal. It was, it was very normal. Um, I, I did go to a church-based school until fourth grade, um, up to fourth grade. In fifth grade, I became homeschooled. Mm -hmm. uh, at that point in time, it, I really was a bubble. I mean, everything was just what my family, you know, introduced me to, exposed me to. Um, I lived for moments where I saw other kids my age and got to experience a little bit of life through them. Um, music was very limited. I was not allowed to listen to secular music. Um, the, the most recent secular music I was allowed to dabble in <laughs> was the crooners era. So, you know, Rosemary Clooney, Frank Sinatra, that was it. That was my level <laughs> that I was allowed to go up to. <laughs> well, you're you're a good 10 years younger than my partner and I, but she wasn't allowed to go to rock concerts. She was raised at Southern Baptist. So the first concert she ever went to was Sandy Patty. <laughs> I I went to a Steve Green concert once and felt so guilty because he was contemporary Christian. So I completely understand. Ooh, you, you are wild. You yes, are wild. Yes. And, and believe it or not, that's still the only music concert I have been to. Like I'm like, I want to just oh, go out honey, there and listen we gotta to some get music. You, we gotta get you. Come up to Nashville. We'll get you to listen yes. to some music. Um, so you know, you're you know, you get into high school. And then what happens? 
okay, so high school, um, we lived on the, I'm not gonna say the name of it, but it was, it was typically considered somewhat like a religious commune. Um, mm -hmm. Literally everybody that lived in that area on that property, and it was a 1500 piece of property, 1500 acres. Um, and the only people that lived there were the staff that my parents were part of. So those are the only kids I played with. Uh, we all dressed the same, thought the same, everything was the same. And um, so when I was a teenager, I rem and, and I have my diary where in it, I wrote down um, when it came to relationship wise, I, I, I was looking at all these girls around me, I'm like they all have boyfriends and I need to have a boyfriend because this is what girls do. They have boyfriends. And it wasn't like, I really want a boyfriend other than everybody's got a boyfriend. I need one. Well, <laughs> and, um, did you ever friend, think about being their boyfriend? Like, did you ever think about that? Like, no, did that I, you? no, no. I, I really, it, the way I grew up there, there was, there was just no such thing as anything other than straight. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I, and, and at, at one point in time, and I wish I had looked up the, the dates and everything. I don't know if it was when Ellen came out or what it was. But there was a definite change in the pulpit of what was preached and spoken about. I remember I went from never having heard of gay people at all ever to suddenly there was this anger and venom from the pulpits everywhere. And suddenly I was hearing this word gay being tossed out. And um, I remember going to a, a family get together for my grandmother's birthday and my cousin I didn't know they were gay, but they were wearing uh, 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 one of those little pins that you have on your clothing and it had the upside down purple triangle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't know what that was, but on the ride home, both my parents were in the front seat and they were feeling sorry for my cousin's parents because they were like, did you see what they were wearing? You know what that means? And I'm in the back seat going, no, what does it mean? <laughs> but, but after that point, it was like, it was pointed out everywhere because you started seeing them popping up on cars. And, and so I, I learned from an early age, whatever this gay thing was, um, it was, it was an abomination. That's what the, you know, the preachers would say. It's an abomination. These people are so sinful. God's just given them up and they're just being left to do, you know, the most sinful things. And, and I remember at one point in time, my parents saying, well, there's no such thing as a gay person. It's just a person that's so far from God that they're just dabbling in the most sinful things possible. So I grew up with the understanding that there is no such thing as a gay person there. That's not a sexuality. It's just a sin, you know? So I didn't know that it was even an option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but, but again, and, and, you know, going back to my diary too, there was this woman <laughs> that I wrote about in my diary and it's and it's so innocent but I but I read it now and I see it for what it was because I was just pining away after this woman and I did I had this huge crush and I was like you know I didn't get to see her today and I just miss her so much and I, I wonder if she misses me and there's just there's just all this you know turmoil going on over this woman that I just loved so much and I looked at it as this great admiration at that point in time, but looking back at it now and seeing the comparison of what I wanted from boys and then what I wanted from her, it wasn't sexual, but in my mind, it was just, I just, I loved her. And, um, and as I look back on it now, I'm like, if I just had the freedom to know what I was feeling, you know, I think things would have been a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. So your parents, did you get married young? And I, I can imagine I did you, I okay, did. So I have to ask yes. you, did you, did you not kiss him until the night of the wedding? Um, that I, I have kissed two men in my whole life. He was one of them. Um, <laughs> I dated one boy before my ex-husband and, um, and I remember going to my mom and saying, I don't like it. It's disgusting. It's gross. There's bristles everywhere. I just, it, it's just, it's you. And my mom's like, well, it's just not the right guy. You know, it's just, it's why you just shouldn't be with him. And during that time, after I broke up with him um, and I started dating my ex-husband, uh, my dad said, I want you to promise me that you will not kiss 
um, another boy until you're married, till your wedding day. And I was super okay with that because I didn't yes. enjoy it the first time. <laughs> Can I ask you something? Where are you? What, where are you on your birth order of your family? I am the third. I have, okay. um, I had two older brothers. My yes, oldest brothers passed girl. away. You're yes. The I'm the girl. first girl. So two brothers, myself, and then a younger sister. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you were the one they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the one who had the most discipline probably. Like yeah, I did. <laughs> So you waited until you you married your husband. Yes, yes, and and I've and I've told this. How old were uh, you, April? I was twenty when I got married. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> and um and by twenty two I had my first baby, but um but yeah the 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 moment we kissed um and I had hoped hoped so much that it would feel different you know kissing. Him because I, I I did love him. Uh, he was a good friend. I mean, that's just how I felt. And um, so I thought, well, it's going to be okay. And 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 my mom had told me. She said, you know, don't expect a lot of what you think it should be like when you get married. It takes years to get intimacy and closeness and to enjoy all of that. So you're going to grow into this in your marriage. Don't expect it right away. So I didn't. And I think that's how I was able to go through so many years and just think, well, I'm just waiting for this magic thing to happen. Mm -hmm. But the moment we kissed, there was just this dread that sit in the, the pit of my stomach. And you know how, when you go to the, the um, reception afterwards and everybody's clanking their glasses and kiss, kiss, kiss. And I'd be like, no, please don't do that again. <laughs> and it was just, that was my reception. And um, so everything was just a dread at that point on. Did you think to yourself, um, oh shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I did. And, and, but you know, it was on the, it's like, it's too late now. You know, it's the, the dues have been said. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I came from a, a family where mar once you got married, you stayed married. And yes, so did yes. my ex-husband. Yes. You know, we both came from marriage families that whether you're miserable or not, you stay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you had a bunch of babies. <laughs> I did um, about so, every couple of years. Yes, I had I had five and ten years. Yes. So, what happened? Like what? Like, like here you are. Like I can. I mean, like insulated in this world. You're, yes. Like how did you? Like <laughs> my hat goes off to you, honey, that you figured this out. Like because <laughs> I don't know how you did it. So how did you do it? I think it was a lot of years of not just seeing a lot of meanness and hatred and bigotry toward gay people, but just a lot of things in general. Um, and a lot of things just didn't add up the way I was raised, the way we people we treated people. And I remember talking to my sister probably about it was probably close to 10 years before I even came out. And I remember talking to her, we were actually talking about gay marriage. And I told her, I said, don't hate me or don't think something bad about me, but I don't have a problem with it. And I know that we're supposed to have a problem with this, but I don't. And I said, I think everyone should be allowed to marry or love who they want to, regardless of what I believe, because that it, it's, I don't have to marry the person, you know, it's, it's up to them who they want to marry. And that began, I think, a process of starting to delve into, well, why do I feel this way? Um, what did your sister answer when you said that? Thankfully, my sister was right on board with me. Oh, good. Um, yeah. She was like, I do too. That's exactly how I feel. And, and really, and she is literally the very first person I told, um, when I came out, I talked to my sister because I thought, I remembered that conversation and I thought if anyone's going to be receptive and not throw me away and my family, it'll be her. And I really, I really thought she would be the only one. And, and for the most part, <laughs> it's kind of gone that way. Um, but, but she has been my biggest supporter. She's from the very beginning. She just was right there and, um, uh, and just has loved me through everything. But, um, so the process was really just kind of hearing about the whole gay marriage conversation and thinking about it and what did I really believe? And that started making me think about other things. What did I believe biblically and, 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 and such. And 
I started realizing when, and, and, and again, this, this has been a process of our culture too, of seeing how things on TV have changed. Like right. you, yeah. you hardly ever saw a gay person on TV. There was no representation. So I remember what was, it was a gay man. It was, yeah. Or, or if you saw something about to happen, the screen would pan away real quick, you know, right as somebody would get close, they would pan away. And I remember what, I don't even remember what I was watching and, but I was watching with other people of the same, you know, denomination. Mm -hmm. And there was something about to happen on the screen between two, two women. And everybody was rushing for the remote and, and going, ooh, ooh, gag, gag, you know, and, and, and trying to find the remote. And I was sitting there going, please don't find it in time. <laughs> you know, and I remember, and I remember thinking it didn't bother me. It didn't gross me out like it was grossing them out. And I'm like, why isn't it grossing me out? Why don't I have a problem with this? I should be having a problem with this. And just a lot of little things like that that started building on top of each other. And, um, and so the, the final thing kind of came when um, I actually met my wife online mm -hmm. and, and she was a very open gay woman, no problems talking about anything. And I was still in this little shell of religion and she was actually struggling with her mother's death and how she felt about God. And I was this hugely curious person about what do I think about gay people? What do I know about it? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of swapped information. <laughs> um, yeah. It really was a lot of question and answer sessions about religion and about sexuality. And she, I could ask her any question, any question. And she knew because I wasn't coming at it from a place of judgment, but trying to figure out what I felt about things. She was just a very open book. And so was Mama religious at all? She was actually raised Catholic. <laughs> oh, was she? Yes. Because yes. I know she's from the Middle East, and so I wasn't sure if she was Muslim or Christian. No, she was raised um, very heavily Catholic. In fact, her mother, you know, just lit the candles and would always, you know, when she got her mother got too sick to go and light a candle, she'd ask her uncle to go and and light one for her. And um, just from what I understand, just a beautifully sweet, kind woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and Rania's family just enveloped her when she came out, they, you know, they were just like, you know what, we don't understand it, but we love you. And we just want you to be happy. And, wow. um, and I remember being so jealous yeah, <laughs> when she told I me bet. that I'm like, that is not fair. <laughs> when did she come out? Just quick question. She came out when, um, when she was, I think she said she was 19. So mm -hmm. she was still pretty, pretty young, but, um, and, and she actually has an older brother who's gay and he came out mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So, um, her mom was just like, well, I guess it's the second kid. I make, Whatever. Gay, I make, I make gay babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so glad that it's always nice to hear when people just get love and acceptance yes. and like, oh, no big deal. You know what I mean? And yes. whatever, you know, <laughs> it's always nice. And I know that didn't happen to you. Right. Uh, so do you want to talk about any of that? I know it's hard <laughs> stuff. And if you don't, we can skip over it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I think sometimes that part has to be talked about because okay. there are people out there that that's, that's a really hard place to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's not all, it's, it's not all roses. It's not all great. And, and I got to the point in my life where, um, and, and I'm a person that I'm very transparent, whatever I, I think, whatever I feel that's, that's who I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. And I just, one, one of the things my wife says about me, she, and she's told so many people, she goes, April can't lie. And, and it's like, okay, I can lie. I just, I, I struggle with it. So I don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, um, and, 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 and it is, it is one of those things that I, I, as soon as I realized that I was gay and that was kind of the thing is it's, I really did not go, did not know. I had to get to the point where I realized that's who I was. I had to be very open about, okay, let me sit on this. Let me think about what I find attractive, who I want to be with. And um, it was very much a heartbreaking thing to realize that the person I was with, I did not find attractive. Mm -hmm. to really sit on that and understand that that's what I had for so many years, just thought there's something wrong with me because, you know, I, I, I care about this individual and I want to desire them. And, and 
my beliefs tell me that I should be desiring this person, but I don't. And I would just weep at night sometimes after a moment of intimacy. And I would just lay in bed just sobbing because I would just pray, God, make me desire my husband. I don't understand why I don't want this. Mm-hmm. And, and I just felt so broken. Mm. And this was years. I just felt so broken. And so I finally had to come to terms with just sitting and going, okay, what do I find attractive? Do, do what is my sexuality and being mm-hmm. really honest with myself and realizing I'm a gay woman, you know, <laughs> just, and once I did that, I was sick to my stomach. Cause I, I knew that because I'm not a person that cannot live who I am, I, I'm just not. You and I knew it. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I knew at that moment, hard decisions had to be made. People were going to be hurt and there was nothing I could do about it. And I thought it's, it's either I live a lie because at this moment, if I don't live authentically, I am living a lie and I cannot do that. Or, you know, I, I try to bury this somehow or another or talk it out of myself. And I just, I just knew I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the first person I talked to was my sister and she had already been through a divorce for different reasons. And I just, I talked to her and I said, I just, I need to tell you this. And, and she said, okay, whatever you need to do, I'm here. You, you talk to me afterwards. And I know I, I found a weekend where um, I waited until Friday after the work week was done, but giving my ex some time over the weekend before he had to go back to work. And I was like, I was trying to time it in a way where he had time to kind of recover before he had to see anybody. Well, because he had no idea. He had no idea. And uh, we put the kids to bed and I said, I need to talk to you. Let's go outside. So we went outside and sat in the pickup truck. And I told him, I said, this is about me. It's not about you. This is about me. And I said, I have realized that I'm gay and we're going to have to get divorced. And, and, and he was, he was just, it was just out, out of left field for him, just completely shocked. And, um, and there was crying and, um, and at that point, um, I was, like you said, when you are raised religious, there's a lot of stuff inside of you that you don't know how to deal with, because if you were raised in a denomination that is not open and accepting, not affirming at all of who you are you are internalizing a lot of that. Right. And you think you're wrong. Yes. Right. And so I didn't know how to deal with it. And I remember, I remember being told, well, maybe you just need to experience sex with a woman and realize that that's not who you are (laughs) or whatever. And I said, it's, it's not just about the sex. Sex. I just, I don't know. Well, you know, like in our later in life groups, I mean, people always think, well, I just think I need to sleep with the woman to make, and that's really not the point yeah. because what yeah. happens is um, heteronormative or straight society reduces, um, especially lesbian relationships to sex because it's right. fetishes, you know, they fetish, right. fetish, I can't say that today, <laughs> they, they fetishize it in the, in porn and stuff like that. And really what women want the most when they are desiring a, a relationship with a woman is the emotional intimacy and the connection. And yeah, the sex is great, but, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, don't knock that part. <laughs> but yeah, the sex is, it's amazing. And if yeah. you, but the thing is, is that we never tell people like when they're like desiring um, somebody in their high school age, you know, when they're in high school and, and they want to be with the other other gender and we never say well you better sleep with that boy to make sure right. you're straight right. you we don't say that we don't exactly. say that but we and unfortunately people do that to themselves because I came out pretty similar to you without having had a relationship you know I met somebody while I was in the process of coming out but I didn't have a relationship with her so I didn't right. know technically um but I knew <laughs> yeah yeah I knew exactly exactly yeah that one that was that was me too I was I was not physical with the woman until after the divorce process was done me too um I I didn't want to be accused of of doing anything for one but I didn't want it to be because of that um I I just needed to be because that's who I was and Mm -hmm. and honestly 
even as much as I wanted to be able to live authentically, I knew that my ex deserved to be with someone who could be what he needed too. Right. And, Somebody and who wanted yeah. to have sex with them. Right. So <laughs> as, yeah. So and as much as yes, there's this part that is selfish, so to speak, of wanting to be who I need to be. I also knew I couldn't be what he needed to be. So there was that part where it's like, I trust me, it isn't just about me. It is for you too. And, mm-hmm. um, and I really wanted my children to see that it's, it's okay to be who you are. And it's mm-hmm. okay. Sometimes if not, everybody's okay with it, you know, you right. still have to be yourself. Right. So, and so that's, that's what happened. Um, and I, I had to, I had to tell my parents, um, and that was really rough. Um, I had to do it over a phone call, which made it worse. And, um, and I remember, um, talking to them at one point in time. And I said, um, you know, if I am in a relationship with a woman, um, are you eventually going to be okay with this? And I'm, and I remember my mom saying, well, we're going to have to pray about it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, when, when Rania and I were becoming more serious, she actually sent my parents a letter and it was a very sweet letter about how she had fallen in love with me and how she truly did love me and how she really wanted to um, have a life with me and such. And I remember my mom just being so angry and, um, and called her a master manipulator. <laughs> She's like, the fact that she can turn you gay, that just makes her master manipulator. And I was like, can't do that's that. Mom. That way, mom. <laughs> it's, not how, it's not how it works. It doesn't um, work that way. No, yeah, well, you know no. what? It's also that, that narrative of blaming someone else. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's Rania's fault that you, right. We, we all right. know that. That's yeah. the ridiculous. So I'm going to ask you, oh, go ahead, finish up. No, no that's, that's fine. Well, I was going to ask you, so you and your husband were big church members at this point and stuff like that. What I, what is really difficult for people is to lose their church family. Yes. And use that, lose that commute community. And most people that come out from pretty conservative backgrounds were raised. There are exceptions, but we're raised in that conservative background you know, independent Baptist, Southern Baptist, Church of Christ, uh, Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, Orthodox Jews. Like, so how did you move through that? And have you recovered from it? And if you have, how did you recover? Okay. Um, Well, at the time when I came out, um, we were um, deacon and deacon's wife. So yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much in the church, pretty strong. Um, and I also was teaching in the um, Christian school that was associated with the church. So we, we were considered people of position in the, in the church when this happened. Um, so when I came out, um, I, I was relieved of my job uh, um, at the school. And, um, and it wasn't very long after that where I stopped attending because the services became very geared um, towards me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There were a couple of services right after um, the situation where I was, I was actually outed um, to my children um, without me being part of it. So, um, and the pastor was involved in that situation. So um, there was obviously some hard feelings on my part that I was not allowed to do that in my timing and mm-hmm. the way I wanted um, and the way I felt my children needed to be told. Um, so uh, it, it didn't take me long to stop attending there, but because faith was such a big part of my life and I felt I still needed it at that time, um, I tried to find churches that would be more accepting of me. So I, I called around and I looked up all these different religions online, trying to find what denomination. And I, so I went from that church to a Nazarene church and the people were very sweet and kind and gracious. Um, and they accepted me for me, but within a, a certain realm, um, I wasn't allowed to really participate in the church, like do things in the church. I was allowed mm-hmm. to attend and they would love me as in that capacity. So, um, so I, I, I did, yeah. Can I jump in? 
Yeah. So that's the, in some conservative denominations, that's when um, people who are considered to be in sexual sin, which this is about education, people who are considered to be about sexual sin is then they can't serve in leadership in the church, which I know you know that, but I don't know if everybody listening knows that. Right. And so, so if you were perhaps a woman who would like, they knew you were having an affair, they probably wouldn't let you serve in leadership in the church. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it depends. <laughs> it depends. It depends on who you are and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But maybe, you know, so that's why you weren't allowed to serve as um, right. in the church in leadership. And I, and I remember when I, when I actually had a meeting with the pastor and his wife at that church, um, and I told them, I said, I just, I want to be upfront honest with you. You know, I am a gay woman. Um, this is who I am. Is this something that you will be able to come to terms with within the church? You know, will I be able to participate in choir? Because I love to sing. And, um, and they said, well, and, and they didn't really answer like, yes, no, like flat out. But I remember the, the pastor told me this really, it was heartbreaking. He said, you know, I, I have a niece who is trans and, you know, I, I feel sorry for her because, you know, she's, you know, that's the way God made her, but she's just not allowed to act on it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what? <laughs> like you're, you're understand that God made them this way, but they aren't allowed to actively participate in who they are. And I remember being that just the weirdest concept to me. And so at that point in time, I knew it was not my church either. It was not going to be my, my church. Yeah, you went, you yeah. went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I have friends here. I, I like the church. The, the feeling of the church was great, but I was like, I, I'm still not allowed to be myself. I don't understand. So, um, from that point, I went to a DOC church, Disciples of Christ. Disciples of Christ. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I remember looking up online and reading that they had um, fairly recently at that time embraced the LGBT community and had stated that they would be an open and uh, affirming religion. And it would be up to the individual congregations on how that would look, you know, within their, their building. And so I actually, I got a little bit smarter at this point in time, and I actually contacted the pastor of that church. Beforehand. <laughs> yes. I said, this is who I am. <laughs> Will I be allowed to participate? Will I be allowed to be in choir? Will I be allowed to do anything in the church? And she said, and this is the first woman pastor I had, I had ever talked to. Yeah. And so this was like weird to me too. And um, because you know, formerly women couldn't do that. And so she said, absolutely. She goes, we'd love to have you. I was like, great. And she's like, you know, there will be some people in the church because it's an older con congregation. So there are going to be some people who, you know, won't agree with you, but they won't make a big deal out of it. They weren't, they're not going to hate on you or anything. I was like, okay, well, I can accept that. Not everybody, you know, has to be completely okay with this, but just so long as I can actually be a part of a church. And it was a very different kind of um, church service for me, because for me, it felt like what I would think of a Catholic service to be, because it's very ritual and and I was not used to that at all. We didn't light candles or do anything like that in my previous church. So it was very ritualistic. So I had to get used to that. Um, but I, again, I made some really lovely friends. I'm still friends with that pastor today. Um, and some of the other uh, women in the church, just, just gracious and kind. And that's actually the pastor that married Rania and I. But mm -hmm. I remember a few weeks before the wedding, um, the, you know, pastor called me up. We were actually at the Chattanooga pride parade at that time. And I get this phone call from the pastor and she said, April, I've got some really bad news. And I, I said, what? And she said, well, the church leaders have taken a vote on whether or not you and Rania can get married in the sanctuary because we don't actually have a church policy in place for a gay wedding. And I said, okay. And she said, well, the vote came up completely split and there's enough people that said no that we can't allow it in the church because it will split the church and she said you know I love you you know I don't have any problem with you Rania I, I just heartbroken I'm sick over this and she did find a, a DOC church in Chattanooga where the pastor was just absolutely fabulous he said y'all go ahead and come in have your service here. We, we don't have, we don't have a problem with it at all. So we were able to get married in the DOC church with that pastor. 
And, um, but at that point in time, suddenly we were an issue within the church. <laughs> and so then they had to start talking policy and they had to start deciding whether or not. So, um, so that it was a step-by-step -step process. And at that point in time, Ronnie and I both decided, you know, here we are tithing members of a church and we're not even allowed to be married in the sanctuary of a denomination that has said that they are accepting of the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And it was just really, and it was just, it was the final straw for me. And I remember going I, to- It was the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it was. And I remember still trying to go to the services and, and I, I just kept feeling, feeling more and more, I, I don't know, I don't know how to express it other than this tightness. And I would just, and then at one point in time, it was right after Christmas, it was, it was in January. And I remember going to a service, I was by myself because Rania just couldn't, she just couldn't She's face like people done. anymore. She's like, I, I can't. <laughs> And here I was just trying to keep going. And I went and I remember I could not sing a single hymn. I sat in the, in the pews and I saw, I, I can't even sing. I can't sing a single song because it all feels fake to me. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't feel this love of God. I don't feel anything anymore. I just, I feel like this empty shell sitting here and I'm just broken. And um, it took everything I could do to wait until the end of the service. And I darted out. And, um, and I told the pastor, I said, it's not anything against you. You know, we love you, but I just can't, I said, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of where it, it ended. And I'm at, I'm at peace now. And I am accepting of, of people that do need faith and all that. But for me personally, I had to step back and say, I, it's just not for me right now. And it may be that that changes, you know, later on in the future, but right now I'm at peace with not, <laughs> well, not you know, what was really interesting to me is that, you know, as you know, I'm ordained. And um, when I came out right after my ordination, I got, I had a lot of anger at God because it's sort of like my life got blown apart after I was ordained. And um, I really struggle now being part of an institution that does stuff like this to people <laughs> that um, what happened to Rania and you was unacceptable. And I just, so my, I guess by telling this is that it's only just in the last six months that I've been able to have conversations with God again, because I just stopped talking and stopped thinking and stuff like that. And then I had this really interesting conversation with my partner, Tanda, and my, uh, her cousin, Mark. Mark is a gay man. He sings in his Methodist choir in his church in Hollywood. <laughs> and um, uh, he, he, when he was young, he was going to be either a pastor or an actor. He chose the actor. He's very <laughs> handsome. And both of them told me that right after they came out, they really had a, like about 10 years of either just completely falling away from any type of church and, and also agnostic, both of them were agnostics, agnostics, they weren't atheists, but they just, they believed in something. Um, they just weren't sure what they, you know, believed in. And so um, Mark was able to go back to church. Tanda's really, she just goes when I go. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my question to you is, do you believe in God now? I currently do not. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I, when people say, well, what are you? Are you atheist? I'm like, well, I, I don't want to ever say that I'm completely anything because <laughs> I've learned my lesson there. But, mm -hmm. um, but I said, I'm, I am probably 99% atheist and 1% agnostic because there's this part of me that says maybe there is something and, right. and there's this part of me that wants there to be something. Mm -hmm. um, but if there is something, it is nothing like what I was raised to believe. Oh yeah. And, I, and that's, and it's like that I know as a surety that if yeah. there is, it's not what I was raised to believe um, well, because I have studied the Bible enough to know. <laughs> well, it was really, really <laughs> neat. <laughs> well, a, a couple of things. Let me just say this first. When I say God, I don't mean like, I usually call it the universe because it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a man sitting on a chair and it's none of those things. Um, but I also noticed when you were talking, you said about what, you know, about Ellen and you said, which I thought was really cool is that you said what the preacher was preaching about 
about being gay because the Bible really doesn't say anything <laughs> about, we could have a whole nother episode about that, but the Bible doesn't, Bible doesn't say that. And right. so I really appreciated you said what the preacher was preaching about because the <laughs> yeah. Bible doesn't like, I really literally had a conversation with a, a client yesterday who has pretty inter she's been out a long time, but really struggles with internalized homophobia brought on by religion. And, and I started talking about the clobber passages to her. And I know, you know, what those are, and those are the passages in Romans and Leviticus and Genesis, which, you know, that people use to clobber the gay community, look it up, Google it. <laughs> if you've never heard of it. And she never heard of it before. Wow. Like never, she's 60 years old. She'd never yes. heard of it. So you know, so let me ask you when I, it sounds like, first of all, your story is amazing. Uh, it is so filled with bravery and courage and authenticity. It takes my breath away. So I, I'm, I've known a little bits and pieces of your story. So it was really nice to hear the whole thing. And I really appreciate that. You have somebody who's done a lot of reading and stuff and movie watching, anything mm -hmm. that really rocked your world well that movie you were watching with your congregation <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> trying to change the lesbian love scene up. But any other movie or book that you know really just sort of opened up your eyes um the very first thing that I watched when I was first coming out um because again trying to deal with my faith and um and my sexuality was the documentary for the bible tells me so Mm -hmm. And I, re yeah, I just, that, that was something first I, you know, I was, of course I was looking up online, you know, gay Christians, you know, is that a possibility? Is that a thing? But th that documentary really changed my life because again, you mentioned the clobber passages and it really delves into that. It delves into the translation of words that are used and what they really mean or do not mean. And that brought me like a sense of peace where I was so worried that if I am a gay person, I am, even though Baptists believe in um, eternal security, I thought if anyone's going to lose it, it'll be me because, you know, gay's the one thing you can't be. It's like there's murderers and then there's gay people. I mean, that's like, that's the list of sins. Like we are right up there with murderers, you know? And um, so that movie did so much to give me a sense of peace and stepping away from religion and, mm -hmm. and, and, and being able to embrace my sexuality and not associate it with a sin that really helped me out tremendously. Can you explain to me why it's right underneath murder? <laughs> it, it, it is the one that, that is spoken out against so strongly, so venomously, vehemently, um, when you hear a preacher preach from the pulpit, you don't hear about things like beating your wife or things like that. You don't hear about that very much, but you hear, you know, of course, oh, they're murderers and sinners. And then of course the gay people, and there's just something about it for some reason in that community that, and I'm going to call it a cult, um, that, that that's right up there with murders. And it's almost like, you know, you've got, you've got murder, you've got, um, the LGBT community, and then you've got child molestation. And sometimes, of course, if you study the history of the LGBT community and Christians, they'll put those two right next to each other as well, you know, and they associate it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and that's why it's right up there. It's right up there with everything, you know, at the top of the list. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because even though I grew up in like conservative Catholicism, I, it just wasn't talked about you know what I mean? Like it just didn't exist. And it's been really interesting working with people who've come out of conservative religious traditions, because to me, although I had my own internalized homophobia that I had to deal with, like, I didn't think like, I didn't realize the hooks that conservative religious religion gets into people around this, like Syria. It's, you just can't tell people Jesus loves you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that doesn't work. It you does know? not. <laughs> because it's 
it's really, I'm actually doing so. Uh, it's actually spiritual trauma. It, people have been spiritually traumatized. And so um, I'm going to a course on it over Memorial Day weekend. So <laughs> um, did you have a coming out song? Um, yes, the fight song. Um, that, that, that really hit home with me. And it reminded me that I have a lot to fight for. Um, there were days where if I did not have my sister and, um, I, I don't know if I would still be here because, you know, she, she kept reminding me, you've got something to fight for. And of course, you know, the, the developing relationship with Rania and it's like, okay, I, I can fight. I can keep going. Mm -hmm. And because there were days where it just, it was just hard. It was so hard, but yeah, that, that got me through a lot of hard days. <laughs> Crank that song. up. <laughs> this is my fight song. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, what's the best thing about your life right now? I think actually living it, um, before I, I wasn't living, I was going from one day to another, just doing, you know, just trying to survive. And now I feel like I'm actually living. I'm experiencing life. Um, you know, we've talked about so many things from, you know, music to, to movies. It's like, I'm actually living life. And, and just, I, I have found that the world is full of so many amazing, beautiful people where I was raised before to be so, again, that bubble. And so I just, I'm living life and I'm enjoying people and learning about people and just being free to do that. Wow. Thank you. Your story is really inspiring. And I really am really awed by your courage, April. I know, I just know like how hard it is to do what you did. And you're a badass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to remind, you know, folks too, um, you know, when it comes to, to all of this, um, I, I remember trying to, to tell people I'm still the same person. You just know a little bit more about me than what you knew before. Um, the person you'd left before is still the same person. You just mm -hmm. get to know a little, little bit more. You get to know a little bit more of a piece of me that I found out. And so, um, I, I came up with this quote when I first, first came out and, and I, and I still reiterate it and it's do not judge me by a part of me. For that's not the whole of me, but do not negate, negate that part of me for without it, I am not whole. So don't forget that piece, but don't judge me by it either. Like there's so mm -hmm. much less mm -hmm. and that goes with anything in life. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to end it on that. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, April Scott. It was nice talking to you in person. Finally, I appreciate it. Nice talking to you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.